Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, I guess I'm one of you then been accepted. That's great. Well, good morning, Castleton Community Church. Uh, truly thankful for the opportunity to get to address you from God's word today. I don't know you well, right? I'm just a guest. But if I were to guess, I would imagine that many of you, if, if I were to ask you the question, how did you come to know Jesus? I would imagine that many of you would say, I grew up in a Christian home, right? That's kind of a standard testimony. And, and maybe that's because you grew up in a Christian home and you came to know the Lord when you were young. But for some of you, that Christian home might have influenced you and you didn't come to know the Lord until later, maybe college or as a, a young adult or even later, but the foundation was already there. But now let me expand that just a little bit further. So consider, of, of those of you who are remaining, how many of you came to know the Lord when you were younger but were influenced by someone? who grew up in a Christian home, right? Maybe you were invited by a friend or you were taken in by a family and invited to church. And, and then maybe even a little further, when you, when you came to know the Lord, maybe it was when you were an adult. How many of you were invited by a friend or a neighbor and that person grew up in a Christian home? So when you start to expand it out that wide, it, it makes you wonder, why is that? Why is it that so many of us came to know Jesus somehow related to the Christian home. And, and if we think about how many people, how many Christians there are throughout the whole span of, of humanity that, that are believers, how many of them would have been influenced by a Christian home? And there's a reason for that. And the reason is this. God has uniquely built the family to display the gospel both inside the family and also to a watching world. He does that inside the family because family operates as, as like an incubator for the gospel. I mean, what better place to come to know Jesus than when your heart is softer, it hasn't been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, to get to see the word regularly taught and preached and even hopefully lived out, right? To, to, to smell the sweet aroma around you all the time. And as far as a, walk, a watching world, there's, there's a reason, that, we'll just tell you from personal experience, there's a reason why my neighbor Pat and there's a reason why my neighbor Poonam truly can't stop giving my kids gifts, right? And, and it's not just because we're doing this parenting thing awesome, but, but it is because my wife and I are seeking by the grace of God to raise our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're, they're responding with, with relative obedience and, and there's an aroma that that gives off that is appealing to other people. So the, the reason I'm wanting to frame this text a little bit wider is because this is the parenting text, right? And, and so there may be some of you who are coming today and going either, either A, that's not really for me, right? So maybe you're before that, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you did that and you're saying, that's great, that's someone else's business now. Or maybe there's some of you, and this is perhaps a painful text to hear right now. Maybe this is a tough season that you're in that you'd, you'd love to be parents or love to be parents again, and that's just simply not God's plan at the moment. 
What I want to do is, is I want to show you that godly families show that God's ways are right, that God's ways are true, and that God's ways are best. And so, so yes, this is a parenting text, but all of us as the church should, should delight that this is the case, that, that this is a, a vehicle, not the only vehicle, but a primary vehicle that God uses to bring people to faith. And we, we should want to seek to celebrate and support the family and the families around us, whether we're in one and a part of one and parenting at the moment, or whether we're not. So, with the rest of our time, let's look at the text and learn how, this is true, how godly families show that God's ways are right, that God's ways are true, and that God's ways are best. So there's really only two points today. So that, that's our main point. Godly families show that God's ways are right, true, and best. And there's really just two points because the text really just comes at it from two different angles, right? So there's children and there's parents. And so if you're taking notes, there's just two points today. Number one, godly children obey their authority. And then number two, godly parents steward their authority. So godly children obey their authority, godly children or godly parents steward their authority, and when both of those are happening together, the godly family portrays that, that God's ways are right, are true, and are best. So, so let's zoom in on children first. So godly children obey their authority, starting in Ephesians 6.1. Ephesians 6.1, the first word that we see is children. So we, we should define that. What is meant by children? That's the subject, what's being talked about. Well, the context assumes that these are children who are under the authority of their parents, right? Children, obey your parents. So it, it's not clear exactly what age that starts and ends, but, but it's safe to say that this is not talking about adult children. We're not perpetually uh, required to obey our parents in these kinds of strong terms forever. That there's another word for that, and that's honor, right? That's honor, and that, that's what's seen later on in this text. Paul roots this command to obey in the eternal principle to honor our father and mother. And so all of us, by, by virtue of being a child of somebody, has a responsibility to show respect and give dignity to our parents, no matter our age, perhaps at some point to even provide for them if that's needed, certainly provide for them relationally, but, but that's not... That's not the exact people who are being addressed here. The people who are being addressed are children who clearly are, are with their parents and are under their authority, right? It, it, this is addressed to, it's a letter. It's addressed to a church just like this, and, and it's saying, children, do this. Parents, do this. Look at each other. This is how you're supposed to, to treat each other. So this is addressed to children. Now, it gets a little fuzzy, because again, this didn't specify exactly when does a child become a, an independent person. I, so I, I would say that the, the general principle that we should go by is the level to which a child has independence is the level to which a parent should grant that independence. But the level to which a child is not seeking that independence is the level to which that child shouldn't expect to have that independence. And I'll let you guys figure what that looks like for adult children. So. The, um, the command is addressed to children. And we should note, too, how cool it is that, it's, that children are addressed. So we, we see some children. So I see a child right there. I see the, the crew back there. There's my wife back there with one of our children. 
So, so Paul is not saying, so parents, make sure that your children obey. He, he does later on, but, but he actually hones right in on the kids who he, he assumes are listening. He says, children, here's my command for you. So you. God has something to say to you. That's cool, right? God says you are a willing actor. I'm holding you accountable. And you guys over there too. Yeah, right? God's saying, I expect you to know my word. I'm addressing you. I'm dignifying you as a human being. And, and you're ultimately accountable to me as well. So that's really cool. So God's addressing children. Here's what he tells them. Here's the command. All right, kids, open your ears. This is the command. Obey. Obey your parents. So this is stronger than simply submission. So you guys talked about marriage last week. It's stronger than submission. And, and the reason is more important than just the word, because while this word is different than what was used in the last section on marriage, uh, the same word is used of wives in different passages and how they should relate to their husbands. So it's not just about a word study. That the real issue at stake here is that the relationship is fundamentally different. Marriage is a fundamentally different relationship than that of kids. So in marriage, man and woman are, of course, equal in that they're made in the image of God, but they're also equal in the sense that they are co-laborers, partners in a one-flesh relationship. And within that one-flesh relationship, they have different roles of authority and submission. But in a parent-child relationship, though again, parents, children, are fundamentally equal in that you are made in the image of God. It's, it's not the same kind of relationship. This is not a co-laboring relationship. Parents actually stand over children. Absolutely. That's why it, it, there's a parallel passage that says the same thing in Colossians. And it says children should obey their parents in everything. In everything. So it's a strong term. And it, it's, really, it's, it's specifically talking about this high level of authority that stands in a parent and child relationship. Now, of course, we always have to say, with any authority structure, there is the possibility, and unfortunately, um, the strong possibility that some parent somewhere will abuse this authority. It, it, it does happen. And that bar should be incredibly high uh, for, for a child to assume that that's the case. The instinct should be to obey. But, but if a child feels uncomfortable, and not just because they don't like it, but because there's something genuinely off, God would make accommodation for that child to, to, to talk to another authority, like a pastor, right, or, or a family member who can help them sort this out. But, but in general, in general, the command here is that children should respect the strong authority that parents have over them. So that's it, guys. Children, obey your parents. Close the book. We got it. We got the sermon. Unfortunately, that's not an explicitly Christian message, is it? Because you could take that message out in some of the worlds, and people would say, yeah, that's what we like to see. They might, you might even get an amen out of them, okay? But there's something that's tacked on to this message, obey your parents, that clarifies it and makes it explicitly Christian, and it's this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So there's a saying that gets tossed around in like Christian parenting um, circles. You may have heard it before. 
So fill in the blanks, you obey all the way, right away, with a happy heart. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah? Now, I, I, I don't have a problem with the phrase we, we use two-thirds of it and modify the, the last third. My, 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 my problem is, is not that we would require obedience that's all the way or right away. And even I understand the point of, of saying happy heart is, is you don't want them to be grumpy about it, right? There has to be at least an outward display that, that I'm under your authority. But the problem is your kids are incapable of having a happy heart on their own. They can obey on their own right away. They can obey on their own all the way, but they can't have a happy heart on their own. And I wanna point this out because a temptation that we can have, especially in Christian homes, is we can forget that our kids need to be converted, not just Christianized. We, we can accidentally think that because our kids grew up learning about God's ways, maybe have, even have an affection for God's ways, maybe even learning how to outwardly obey, maybe my kid is, is pretty obedient, and, and we can let, start to think that maybe that just slides them into Christianity. And while that is a means, and, and that's, that's a whole part of the point of this text, that is a means that God uses, and we're thankful for that, to, to bring people to saving faith, at the end of the day, your child still needs to actually be converted. Our kids, on their own, they can't obey all the way, and they can't obey right away, and they can't have a happy heart, at least not every time. And so our kids and the kids who are among us, they need to trust in the one who always obeyed his parents. That's Jesus. And Jesus always obeyed his parents because he was submitted to his father, he, who he always obeyed as well. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that word for obedience is the exact same word that we see here for children obeying their parents. Jesus did that to his father. And, and that's who all of us need to be trusting in if we have any hope of obeying our earthly fathers. And, and Jesus not only obeyed, but he obeyed all the way. He obeyed right away, and he obeyed with a happy heart. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He did that for the joy that was set before him. So our kids, our kids need Jesus. If they're to obey in the Lord, if they're to actually obey this command, they need Jesus to save them from their partial obedience, from their slow obedience, from their disgruntled obedience, and even from their obedience that is at least outward, but is missing the right motives, the actual happy heart. And this will become important in our text because Paul, Paul tells us, or tells children, obey your parents in the Lord. But then he gives three reasons, three motivators for why they should do that. And, and this is going to go one of two ways with each child. And really with each adult, right? Because this is... We can learn a lot as adults about what our obedience needs to look like with how Paul talks to children and what their obedience to absolute authorities need to look like. So Paul gives three reasons for why they should obey, and it's, it's only going to go one of two ways. Either our children are in the Lord, and these will actually act as motivations, or our children won't be in the Lord, 
And yet, it's still our responsibility with the children in our midst to point them back to these motivations. Because in these motivations, we see that regardless of whether you believe it or not, objectively, God's ways are right, God's ways are true, and God's ways are best. So we'll talk through those three, right? God's ways are right, God's ways are true, God's ways are best. These are motivations for why children should obey in the Lord. Reason number one is God's name, God's name. The first reason that's given is for this is right. That's the reason children should obey. So right means just, it means fitting, it means according with God's righteousness. When a child obeys, everybody knows it's a good thing. Everybody does. People look at that, even people who don't know the Lord, and they say, yeah, that's a good thing. Creation cries out to the fact that when children obey, that is a good thing. Now, naturally, a child, and really any of us too, is not going to obey with the motivation of, of God's righteousness in mind, right? A child is typically going to be more concerned with the fact that a toy was stolen from them than that they just went and stole a toy right back. Or that the reason that they had a toy stolen from them was because they stole a toy from somebody else. I don't know about you, at least no child I've observed, I've never seen a child come to you distraught over their sin of having stolen their, child, their, their sister's toy. I've also never seen a child come to you distraught, mommy, my brother, stole from me, and that is an offense against a holy God, and I am concerned. I am concerned for the state of his soul, more than I'm concerned with getting my toy back. That doesn't happen, right? But because we want our kids to obey in the Lord, we can and we should help the children in our midst be more concerned for God's righteousness than for our own personal sense of justice. And so, in these situations, let's just take the stealing toy example, we insist that they return good for evil, that they stare in the face of injustice and return good for evil, and we do this in the hopes that this will show them that God's ways are right, and that the Lord will lead them to desire to obey in the Lord, because his ways are right. So that's reason number one, God's name. Reason number two is God's words, God's words. So Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he references the 10 commandments, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. So, so he's mentioning the 10th commandment, or sorry, the fifth commandment of 10. And, and, and why he's doing that is he, he, he's, he's saying, I'm rooting my commandment now, what I'm telling you to do in an eternal principle. So he, he's saying by referencing the Ten Commandments and then applying it to your child that, that while Jesus fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the Ten Commandments, this is clearly a, an eternal principle, a principle that Jesus has extended to us now. And so the second reason that children obey is because God said so. It's not just true, but, but it shows that God is truthful, right? So when we disobey God's direct words, it's not only disagreeing with him, but it's also doubting him. It's saying, I don't believe your words are truthful. Now again, naturally, naturally, this is not our child's 
main motivation. This is not our main motivation apart from the Lord. We will do the minimum to pass the test or to just kind of skate by. And, and when we do that, it's not because we value God's words or our authority's words, but, but when we do that, it's because we actually take those words lightly. We don't take them seriously. Have you ever noticed how when your child has done something wrong, you told them not to, suddenly they have amnesia about what you said? You ever notice that? I don't know. I didn't hear you. Have you ever noticed how we, if we really want to do something, will find a way to twist what our authorities may or may not have said subtly so that we can do that? It's the same thing. But because we want our kids to obey in the Lord, we can help the children in our midst be more concerned that they are listening to God's words and to ours than that they're simply getting their way. And so that, that means two things. That means first, requiring that they respect when they hear God's word being read and taught, that they have a holy reverence for God's words. But then second, because you as parents, if you are a parent, stand in the gap for God and tangibly represent authority to them, especially when they're young and they don't have a, a, a concept of what God's authority looks like, you, you represent that authority for them. And so you show when, when you treat your words as if they should be obeyed and if they, as if they should be respected and heard and uh, remembered, you, you say, I'm teaching you to value your authority's words so that you learn how to value your ultimate authority's words. And so this means requiring that, that they learn how to listen eagerly when you speak and not distractedly, right? That, they, that you follow through then on what you say. Because when you don't follow through, what you're saying is, my words you can kind of take or leave instead of them being absolute. And we do all of this not so that we primarily have obedient children, not so that we don't have any inconveniences in our lives because our kids obey exactly what we say, not because our words are amazing and always right, but because when we do this, we show them that God's ways are not only right, but they're also true in the hopes that this will lead them to desire to obey their parents in the Lord. Reason number three is they're good. They're good. What this means is children are to obey their parents not only because it's right, not only because it's God's words, but also because it's for their good. It is a blessing to obey authority. It's a blessing to obey God. And we know this because after Paul talks about uh, the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, he references the fact that this is the first commandment with a specific promise attached. There were general promises attached to uh, earlier commandments, but this is the, the first one with a specific promise attached. And the promise attached to it is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what Paul's saying is that in general, and we, we see this in general, when we obey, it leads to blessings, doesn't it? Not every time, not always, but in general, when we obey, it leads to blessings. And when we disobey, it leads to destruction, right? That's what Proverbs is all about. There's two ways, and one way in general leads to life, and one way in general leads to death. And in particular, in particular, Paul's honing in on the fact that, again, from, from the beginning, honoring your parents in particular, God chooses to bless. 
God says, that is a way that I use to bless. And, and what God does then in, in his word in Ephesians 6 is he takes this promise that was at one point applied to a specific people at a specific time. And he says, this is actually for your kids right now. Your kids get blessed, my blessing, when they obey me. When your children obey, you can know that it will go well with them in the sense that, that they get to stand right in the middle of God's circle of blessing. God's, God's made this world in such a way that if you're inside God's circle of blessing, it brings in general life. And also, when your children obey, you can know that they will live long in the land, provided they're obeying in the Lord, in the sense that they get their rest in Christ, both now and forever. They get peace and reconciliation with him. That's what Hebrews 4 talks about. So, when we obey, when we obey, when our children obey, and especially when our children obey their parents, it is for our good. God cares about us and delights to bless us and loves to do it through obedience. And again, we have to say, naturally, children, we don't often obey if we're outside the Lord, don't often obey primarily for spiritual blessings. We, we like to obey primarily for material blessings, right? Because, because ultimately we believe those are better. They're, they're easier to see, easier to spot. So most kids, if they're not in the Lord, if there's no snack, if there's no screen time involved, if they're a little older and they're not getting paid for what they're doing, they may obey, but the, the obedience is gonna dip just a little bit. But because we want our kids to obey in the Lord, we can help the children in our midst all of us help the children in our midst see that God's ways are best, that obedience brings blessing. And, and so that might start with, with the younger ones, offering them small, small rewards to, to celebrate for them their obedience so that they can tangibly see it. But as they get older, we would, we would want all of us to better value the rewards we get in Christ when we obey, that the satisfaction that we get of a job well done, the, the delight in pleasing him. And we wanna look for every opportunity we can to show our kids, do you, see, do you see how much better it is when you obey? Do you see even to be free of an a unclean conscience, how much better that is to obey? Do you see how even practically life just goes better when you obey? This is because God's ways are best and we want you to follow him in the Lord. So. That's our first point. Children, obey your authority because when you do, you show, you show that God's ways are right, that God's ways are true, and that God's ways are best. That's how children do it. Now we're gonna come on the other side with parents. And when godly parents steward their authority, they too show that God's ways are right and true and best. So once again, we'll take a moment to look at the text and then we'll, we'll zoom out a little bit. So verse four says fathers, starts with fathers. So again, this is the subject. Notable for three reasons. First, first, it's notable that he addresses fathers. He doesn't say fathers and mothers. That's the reality. And so the fact that he addresses fathers shows that fathers have a, an important leadership role in the home. There's, there's a level of accountability that a father will have. And so if you're a father, 
or if you're around fathers, that's something we want to support and build up and encourage. But our second point is that while this is addressed to fathers, the command is for fathers and mothers as well. This does not diminish mom's role. And we know this because children are to obey their parents, not their dad. And in the Ten Commandments, which were referenced, the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. So God includes all kinds. And, and we see in other passages of scripture, let's look at Titus 2, for instance, women who are married and have children, it's seen as a primary role for them to, to be involved in the raising up of their children, the discipline and instruction of their children. And so we see this, that, that God has created mom and dad as necessary and yet complementary in showing what godly parents look like to kids. Both, both together are needed to, to, to picture the fullness of what God's plan is for your kids. And this is now the third point. We have to recognize that while this is the ideal, mom, dad, each bringing something unique and necessary, we live in a fallen and broken world. And I recognize that it doesn't always work out this way. There's not always dad around. There's not always mom around. That might be you. That might be how you grew up. That might be somebody you know. And, and the encouragement we have, as we have with any thing that happens in life that, that is out of step with, with the ideal that scripture presents, is we have the hope that God delights to work precisely in our weaknesses and precisely in things that are less because it gives him that much more glory. And so if you are in a single parenting situation, I think you'd be the first to admit, yeah, this is not God's ideal. I see it. I see the consequences of it. And yet, trust that God's plan cannot be hindered if he delights, if he would delight to see your son or daughter come to know him. And he would love to accommodate and to work in your weaknesses to exalt his name. So fathers, parents, that's who's being addressed. Paul gives a negative command first, and then he gives a positive command. So one command, but it takes two aspects, two sides. So he gives the negative first, so we're going to have to go down a little bit, and then we'll come back up, because he ends with the positive. Here's the negative command. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. So in other words, children should obey. That was, that was the command, and yet you can make this harder on them. Children should obey, but we can make this a lot harder. So that the word uh, to provoke to anger, maybe you're familiar with exasperate in other versions. It means to stir up to anger. The parallel passage in Colossians 3 we talked about, it, it says, lest they become discouraged. So the idea is, is being overbearing, inconsistent in such a way that it, it takes all the wind out of their sails. I, I might compare it to, if I was your boss, and I came in at four o'clock on a Friday, and I dumped two days worth of work on you and said, I want this by Monday. And you know that I should have given that to you on like Tuesday. And you've got all kinds of stuff to do, but you're a good worker, and so you work all weekend, you know, you do your best, you turn it in on Monday, and then I come back in and I berate you for what a terrible job you did. I start to bring up all sorts of other stuff that's completely unfair and unrelated. Are any of you kind of seething right now? Is your blood starting to boil a little bit? Yeah. So what would be your responsibility in that moment? It would still be to obey, right? 
but I've made that way harder. I have some culpability in this. There is some justice in, in what you're seeing. You're pointing out something and saying, this is unjust the way this is happening. In the same way, we can treat our kids in such a way that, that it makes, them, makes it harder for them to obey this command. And we don't want to do this. They're still accountable to the Lord, but we can make it harder. So let's just give some examples of what this can look like. And, and I, I'm able to write these examples because I've done every single one of these, right? Maybe even this weekend. And, and, but we, we need to be aware of them because we're being told there's a command here, don't do it. So I can require what they can't do. That might be an example. I can say to my two-year-old, go clean up the whole playroom right now. And then go in in five minutes and go, why didn't you clean up the whole playroom? Well, it might be beyond the capacity of my two-year-old to, to do this whole complicated thing when it's a big mess without my consistent direction. But with my six-year-old, it might look a little different. So I can require what they can't do, what would be impossible. I can require what would be emotionally hard for them. I can, I can tell my daughter when she's crying, I could say, stop crying right now. That'd be hard for me to do, right? I could exasperate her. I could create an atmosphere where I don't allow for respectful dissent or questions if they have a genuine question about something. And, and in the same vein, I can create an atmosphere where I'm never wrong and will never admit it to you. That can exasperate our kids. It can make them feel like, well, I'm just, I'm obeying because they say so, but I'm not seeing what's right about this. I can never be satisfied. I can always keep setting the bar higher and higher. I can be too harsh. I can embarrass them. I can be random or inconsistent, right? Here's the line, and now here's the line, and now here's the line. Essentially, I can do any number of things that deflate them and, and maybe eventually get to the, to them to the point where they're going, I'm, I don't even want to obey anymore. So that's the command. Here's the question. Why? Why what might we be tempted to provoke? Because this is in here for a reason, clearly. Right? We're not reading this going, okay, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me, but thanks. God put this in his word because evidently parents in particular have a temptation towards provoking their children. And it seems like in particular, dads have a temptation towards provoking their children. And, and so what I want to submit to you is every time I provoke my child, what I'm saying is I don't actually understand grace in this moment. I'm saying that I'm expecting you to do something that I wouldn't actually be able to do myself, but I'm treating it like I would be able to do it myself. I don't know grace in that moment. I'm, I'm putting my ways, what I think is right, what I think is best, I'm putting those higher than God's ways. But, but, and right, we're going to turn to the other side of the command now. When I believe the gospel, I set the bar exactly where it's supposed to be, not based on my idea or my comfort in that particular moment, my idols. No, I'm setting the bar exactly where God would set it. I'm holding it there because I want to show that his ways are right, true, and best. And, and when they meet it, I want to celebrate with them and show them that there's blessing for obedience. And when they don't meet it, I want to tenderly and kindly and lovingly show them that their ways are going to lead to destruction and ultimately point them to the one who 
cleared the bar, the only one who could clear the bar that I've needed to trust in because I can't clear that bar either. And so that's where the positive side of the command comes in. This is how parents steward their authority. So the negative side of the command is how we poorly steward our authority. This is how we properly steward our authority to point to the fact that God's ways are right and are true and are best. And so here's the positive command. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So the command bring them up is the same that we just saw in the marriage passage. The word nourishes. So just as a man nourishes his wife in the way that he nourishes his own body, that's the same way that we should bring up, nourish our children. I think of a garden, right? If, if I were to plant a garden and then throw some seeds in it and just let it ride, what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I'm not going to get a good yield because the weeds are going to come, the, uh, I might not have situated it in a good spot to have access to air and to light and to water. The ground is going to be hard because I didn't till it. But we as parents and anyone who knows a child, we have the blessed opportunity to cultivate their hearts, to bring them up. We're, we're responsible for taking this tender heart that is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin yet and, and to, to plant the gospel seed in that soft soil, to till it, to make sure it's ready, to give it access to air and to water and to light, to keep the weeds and the birds away, and then to pray like crazy hoping that the Lord would bring a harvest. We are a blessing to our child when we discipline and we instruct for the sake of bringing them up. Now, we get to these two words, discipline and instruction, and if we wanted to, we could take a whole four-week series just talking about discipline and instruction, so I'll leave that to your elders. Uh, today, we're just gonna stay high level because I trust that they're taking good care of you on the specifics. So high level, discipline and instruction these two words have a lot of overlap in such a way that it's, it's difficult to neatly parse out exactly where one ends and the other begins. And I think they're, they're supposed to be taken together to picture the holistic training of a child on the path of righteousness, discipline and instruction. So these two words taken together, they mean both corrective, of course, but also formative, right? So instruction and rebuke, training and correction. It also means formal and informal. So the fact that this is a command to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord means there should be foresight on our part. We should be thinking, how am I doing this? And yet we also know that a lot of life's moments where we get to train and instruct happen on the fly. And so having a plan for specific moments and also having a plan for when there is no plan and, and you need to do some informal training. So discipline and instruction, holistic picture of training on the path of life. And what, why, why do we do this? There's four reasons. When we discipline and instruct, what we're showing is we agree that God's ways are right. We're agreeing with our kids. Yeah, this command to obey in the Lord because it's right, I agree with that. And that's why I'm trying to keep you on this path. When we discipline and instruct, we give our kids access to God's words. We, we shouldn't expect that any child would just know God's words. We've got to put them in front of our child. When we discipline and instruct, we, we give them access to God's circle of blessing. On our own, we will veer well outside of that. When we discipline and instruct, we put them right back in. And finally, when we discipline and instruct, we use our authority to help our children understand that God's rights, true, and good authority can be trusted. 
when we discipline and instruct, we treat our kids as sons. That's what Hebrews 12, six through seven says. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son in whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? When we fail to discipline, and we need to repent for that, because when we fail to discipline, we, we don't represent God's discipline well. And, and, and we act as if our kids aren't sons because we're not disciplining anymore, we're punishing. But when we discipline well by the grace of God, filled with the Spirit, we, we help them see this is what God's loving authority looks like for those who are his kids. When we discipline, we treat them as kids. So when I give them the blessing of consistency, when I don't allow behavior that won't please the Lord, when I major on training them in God's ways and not just what'll make me happy, when I love my spouse, when I willingly repent, when I preach the gospel, when they fail, I show them that godly authority is worth following. And I know, guys, if I didn't know Jesus, I would provoke my children. I know that. I see the idols that, that bubble up, especially at eight o'clock, right when we're putting the kids down. But because I do know Jesus, he helps put me on the path of life so that I can take these commands seriously to put my children on the path of life. He's given me a bigger vision and a purpose. And that's why, and this is the last thing we'll say today, it is so important that our aim in raising up the next generation be of the Lord. So just like children are to obey in the Lord, it says, fathers... Do not provoke your children, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is, aim towards Jesus. Our goal is not just to have kids that are intellectually competent, good at sports, make it into a good school, maybe they have a good family. Those are all good things. But our goal is that they, they know and love and follow Jesus. That's the most important thing. And God has placed parents in particular as the primary means of, of cultivating that, of bringing that about, but parents are not sufficient. He has given no two parents everything they need to disciple the next generation because he's placed these parents in the context of a local church. You guys add something to every parent that's around you. You add a wealth of other experiences, other ways that, that God has changed and impacted you, other personalities, right? You, you fill in gaps that these parents simply don't have. And at the very least, a child gets to walk into a place like this and see, oh, mom and dad aren't just, it's not just mom and dad. It's, it's all these people. They're all saying the same thing. So, to end, parents, your stewardship displays the gospel because it shows your children what you treasure and it gives them access to what is right, true, and best. And then children, when you respond by obeying your parents' authority, you agree that God's ways are right, are true, and are best. And, and a watching world can't help but respond to that. 
because a godly family gives off a fragrance that is appealing and attractive. And, and so church as a whole, let's celebrate this vehicle that God delights to bless, to bring people to saving knowledge of him. Think about it. Again, how many of you were influenced by a godly family? And don't we all want to feed into that? Let me pray for us. Father, we're so thankful that you make known to us your path of life, and then in your presence is fullness of joy. And we know each of us on our own would have wandered well off that path, thinking that we were doing the right and the best thing. And we thank you that you've used your word and your spirit and maybe even a godly family to bring us back onto that path of life. Help us to be committed to building up families, whether we're a part of one or not, because we, we trust in how you've made things, how you've ordered things. And we pray that every child in the midst of Castleton Community Church would come to know you and follow you and love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.